Welcome to the Kings Insider Podcast on NBC Sports California. I am James Ham. Joining me today, a very interesting guest. We've gone full draft coverage. We've got Coles Wicker uh, from the Stepien, from the Ode to Odin podcast, the Game Theory podcast. He's all over the place. What's going on, Cole? How's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to have you because, uh, first of all, um, you know, the Sacramento Kings, uh, after my first year covering them in 2010, I think it was 2011, they made the, uh, the JJ Hickson, uh, now, uh, partially incarcerated JJ Hickson, uh, deal for Omri Caspi, uh, and they threw in a, a lottery protected <laughs> first round pick. So I literally have lived in the world of the Stepian. Uh, rule for for years and years and so i love the website name the stepian uh how did you guys come up with that is it just your thing that's definitely to form we either find that people really like it and find it kind of a clever play on the draft or people absolutely hate it and we're like why did you name your website after ted stepian especially i've been on cleveland radio a couple times and those guys i mean they're very divisive about it but uh we wanted something that was a clever play on the draft overall and that's kind of what we settled on yeah, yeah, I love it. I mean, again, the Sacramento Kings, uh, they're in the same situation again. I mean, they can't trade. Their pick next year is gone, which means they can't trade the 2020 pick either. Uh, it just hamstrings what you're trying to do as a franchise and takes away your ability to move up and down. And uh, so I dig it. Um, so look, your big board, uh, explain, me, explain to me your big board because it's different than uh, like a typical mock, it, it's it's just your rating system. How do you get to where you are? Because it's very very different from most of the other, you know, mock drafts that are out there. Yeah, I think at the top at the step in, we value more contributing to winning basketball when we can actually project that. So a lot of the prospects we have at the top, Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson Jr., Trey Young at his ceiling outcome. Those guys just have if they hit, they're gonna have a lot of value on a winning team. Uh, Luka Doncic with his initiator equity as far as being able to dribble, pass, and shoot, make decisions at a high level, 6-8. He can initiate your offense. He can also play off the ball as a wing. Just a really, really valuable archetype on a a winning team. Jaron Jackson is our number one big because his high-level defense, I mean, he's... He's an incredible defensive prospect, the best I've seen since I've been doing this. Uh, great team defender, great rim protector. Can play. He's versatile. Can play on the perimeter a little bit there, and then on offense, he can space the floor. In three, he can put the ball on the floor and dribble. We value perimeter skills a lot. I think they translate a lot to winning basketball for five. So I think that's where you see the disconnect. Like a guy like DeAndre Ayton, I think is a great prospect. I think he's going to be a multi-year All-Star, but. I have trepidations about his defense and for bigs, I value defense the highest of, of any of the skill sets as, as far as projectability goes. So yeah, I think that's where we differ a little bit is a lot of sites. They view kind of athleticism, that intersection with production as upside, whereas we tend to scale more on skill intersection with IQ equating to upside. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so you have Doncic number one, uh, the Kings are sitting there with the second overall pick 
Doncic is almost assuredly going to be on the board. Uh, the Kings, to to date, they it's not that they aren't sold on Doncic. They just they aren't a hundred percent committed to him over Porter or Bagley. Uh, if you were making a pitch to them, saying, "Look, Sacramento Kings, stop! You know, stop with the nonsense. <laughs> this is why you draft uh, Luca. He's you know." He's got the stats, but also these are his his tools. Why don't you give me your in a nutshell breakdown of of Doncic? Because I know Kings fans are so hot on this guy that I think there will be crying uh, at Golden One <laughs> Center on on lottery night because they're having a draft party. Uh, but there there will be tears uh, and anger if he's not the guy at number two. What's your pitch? I mean, they haven't had this caliber of prospect, in my opinion, in probably 15 years or so. You don't come across a 6'8 ball handler who can initiate your offense and has that high-level decision-making. They just don't come around. He's such a rarity there, and he just contributes to winning in so many ways. You've already seen that manifest by age 19. I mean, what he's doing production-wise in the second-best league in the world talent-wise is unreal. And I, I just think he's the perfect kind of building piece to move forward with i mean he fits so well in the modern nba at worst he projects as a wing that can play make again dribble pass and shoot at that level he can play next to De'Aaron fox overall i just think that i mean you just rarely get a chance to draft somebody of this caliber that's this skilled and ha- has a six eight frame and that's incredibly valuable moving forward i mean i think De'Aaron's going to get enough build on him and enough strength maybe to be able to defend at a high level and not be a defensive minus, but so much of Luca's allure is the fact that he's six eight, and you don't have to incur those size trade-offs in the playoffs. Like you're not going to get headhunted because he's, you know, he's strong enough to resist that, and that's what you get with a lot of these smaller point guards. So I, I just think overall his talent level and his skill level, he has the opportunity to be a top ten player in the league, in my opinion. He's the highest ceiling player in the draft. He's also the highest floor player in the draft to me, and you really get a chance to draft that guy number two overall. It's, it's a no-brainer. Okay, so defensively, do you think he can hold up? Uh, not, I mean, to me, watching enough footage of him, he looks like he's going to be defending threes for the most part. I mean, of course, the modern NBA is nothing but switches, but when you walk out there, uh, he doesn't look like he's going to be able to stay in front of uh, <laughs> in, in front of a point guard or in front of a, a shooting guard. Um, what are your thoughts on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I think it's definitely a concern as far as his quickness. I do think he can improve athletically, and that's something that a lot of people overlook is like when he gets on an NBA strength and conditioning program, if he can add a little bit of lateral explosion. We've seen him engaged, and he's a pretty good defender. I watched probably 16, 17 games of Real Madrid this year, and you know it's it's definitely a concern when he doesn't try, especially. I mean, a lot of, <laughs> the lateral quickness isn't great, and even his team defense isn't always there. He's not always engaged as far as making rotations. He ball watches a lot. He rarely ever boxes out. So there's some defensive concerns. I think he probably tops out as maybe a little slightly above average defensively. And that's that's a realistic outcome for him. But I, I do get the concerns there. But I do think, again, that he can improve athletically. And that's going to be pretty huge in his calculus. Uh, okay, so, so basically, I, I agree with you 100% as far as the body. When I look at his body... Uh, he's uh, he's got a, l- a little baby fat. He's a little soft, and by NBA standards, I think they'll get him in a workout program. It won't happen year one, uh, but by year two, year three, I think his body will be completely uh, be completely remade. Uh, so I guess if you're looking at the Kings squad, their current squad, 
uh, can he fit at the small forward? And are you okay with, is he going to be okay with that? I mean, basically Fox at the one, Bogdanovich at the two, and and him at the three. Does that work, or do you really want to put him in the backcourt? No, I think that works. And this goes a lot to your philosophy on how you define positions. I think he's not... He's obviously not going to defend point guards, and that's something that a lot of people will touch on, and that's just a non-issue for me. He's not ever going to defend point guards. You have Darren Fox for that. Uh, he can play as the de facto wing, but he can also initiate your sets. A lot of times last year, I, I watched some Kings games, and, and they were playing Darren Fox at the two, really, and he was in the corner spacing out in like a horn set, for example. Mm-hmm. I think that Luka Doncic can easily do that, and he can be interchangeable. He can, he can initiate your sets. He can also play off the ball and... Most importantly here, he's not going to defend point guards. He's going to defend probably threes or fours, fours at the peak ceiling outcome as far as in the playoffs, for example, down the road. I think he's going to defend more stretch bigs, combo forward types, and that's how I, I kind of see him. Yeah, and you know, to be honest with you, watching De'Aaron Fox and, and Bogdanovich for that matter, uh, but certainly Fox, he's so much better uh, from the perimeter when his feet are set. I actually like him off the ball as a shooter. I do not like him. Uh, shooting off the dribble his his mid-range jumper off the dribble is okay because he's so fast uh, that he creates so much space and it also allows him to get right to the basket um, you know if, if he starts hitting but exactly. he's, he's a much better shooter off the ball and I kind of like the idea of having the speed and quickness of a fox in the starting lineup along with a guy who's crafty like Bogdanovich and then a bigger version of Bogdanovich uh, <laughs> and, and Luka uh, I really do look at what Bogdanovich and, and Doncic do. A lot of it is is sort of mirrored, uh, except for there's a size difference clearly, um, and and certainly you know there's a maturity level that's different. Bogdanovich is a very very mature player, and I think Doncic is going to take a little while to figure out the the lifestyle. Um, but I mean I think they'll be fine together. Um, so I, I like it, but if you're the Kings, why would you even consider uh, either Bagley or Porter at this point? Or for you, is it just like, man, this is Kings being Kings. It's such a no-brainer that you just have to draft that player. For me, it's obvious, but I think from their perspective and just being fair to them, maybe they value the fact that Marvin Bagley does want to play in Sacramento. He wants to be the highest draft pick. We've heard that numerous times from different sources as far as he wants to go number two. Doncic might have some reservations about going to Sacramento. I think from their vantage point, just getting somebody in their building who wants to be there makes sense. But I do feel in this case that the talent discrepancy and disparity is that evident that you just take the best player available. The Kings need to do that. They need to get out of this, you know, decade plus rut that they're in. Just take the best available player. So that that would be my, that'd be my pitch. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And you know, when you look at, some of the other attributes again i i don't really care if a guy just want if he's so sold on going number one overall and he's willing to settle for going number two that doesn't have any value to me Uh, that just means that he's really interested in having his name called as early as possible in the draft uh so i i'm not and i don't even know how bagley would fit on the kings you're talking about resetting your entire roster if you bring him in uh, or you, you walk into the season with six bigs and, and that doesn't work at all. Um, so I'm confused on how Bagley is really in consideration for the, the number two pick. Uh, Porter, I think, has tremendous upside as a legitimate number one option scorer. 
I'm just, of course, like everybody else, concerned about the back issues. <laughs> um, if they didn't go that route, uh, those three players, which they really are focused on, um, you like Jaron Jackson. Why Why do you think it is that, uh, I mean, I know specifically the Kings didn't bring, they didn't bring either of them. They didn't really focus on either him or Mo Bamba at all in this draft process. They've kind of left those guys out as far as potential options at the number two spot. And it seems strange to me just to not kick tires. But again, you hear guys that want to go somewhere or don't want to go somewhere. Again, I, I am not worried about that either because players who come to Sacramento tend to stay in Sacramento and love Sacramento once they get there. It's just the initial, you know, do I want to go there? Uh, and are they stable enough type issue that a lot of teams and a lot of agents don't like? Yeah, it's it's really curious for me as far as I'm not I don't I'm not privy to information about why these guys you know won't work out with Sacramento or whatnot. But Jaron Jackson for me, a guy like that, you should absolutely get in your building. Um, he's really young for his age. He's over a year and a half younger than Mo Bamba, for example. So I think that gets lost in translation a little bit. Jaron's just really really young, and I think he's exuberant as far as personality, but maybe not yet mature, and that might turn some teams off. I've heard that a little bit as far as the intel goes. Uh, he's not ready to really step in and harness like this high usage role. He's more of a developmental prospect. I, I think there's some validity to that, especially offensively. It's going to take him a while to get accustomed to the NBA game. But defensively, man, you step on the floor. And if you really value big or defense from your bigs, I think he can step in and play a role from, from day one. I mean, he takes a lot of pride in his defense. He has that mental consistency, plays with competitive fire. I think he would do a number on the Kings organization as far as just getting a defensive big that just really wants to unleash that aspect of his game on a nightly basis he has the ability to defend at both levels he's a perimeter defender an interior defender he's a high level team defender all of that he meets that i think in time he has the chance to be a multi-year defensive player of the year candidate and you know that for some reason defense for bigs in the draft is devalued a little bit in my opinion as far as people want production they want offensive scoring but if you look historically the best defensive bigs consistently are usually I mean, it's on the defensive end. It's it's not really too much on the offensive end. You rarely see guys that are high usage scores that are repeat. If you're just aiming to build a winning team and, and a team that makes the finals, it's pretty much Shaq and Duncan as far as guys who are 25 over usage rates in the playoffs. Like those guys are the repeat offenders in that category. And mostly every other player defense or big wise is a defensive oriented player who can shoot threes. And that's what Jaron Jackson does. So that's why he that's why we have him number two. And as our number one big is because like he's just he projects so well in the modern game and historically as far as what kinds of big bigs contribute to winning basketball. All right, you are listening to the Kings Insider Podcast on NBC Sports California, brought to you by Wendy's. Get a taste of the Southwest with Wendy's new Southwest Avocado Chicken Sandwich and Southwest Avocado Chicken Salad. Bold Southwest flavors topped with cool creamy avocado, but they're only available for limited time at participating Wendy's. Also, uh, we're going to get to our boating and waterway sponsorship because uh, we love boat safety. I want you to get out there and be safe. I can't wait to spend some quality time with my son fishing this year, teaching him about casting, how to choose bait, set the hook, and how to be safe on the water by always wearing a life jacket. Save the ones you love. A message from California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways. Okay, and Bamba, to me, I mean, I'm not even, I don't even care about the offense. This whole Bamba can shoot, Bamba can shoot thing. I think that that's like way overrated. I'd rather see like eight different post moves from Bamba 
uh, just because of his length and I, and I want him chained to the basket. Um, is he strong enough? I mean, because he's going to block shots, but to me, block shots are one of the worst stats in the league. I mean, I, I like a guy who who's a goalie, but uh, you know, I take a guy who gets me two steals over a guy who gets me two blocks any day of the week, uh, just because it's a true turnover. Um, so, is Bamba in your mind? Um, is he even remotely close to being a top two pick? Uh, because to me, he doesn't look like it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that the idea of him, he's a high variance player to me. Like if he hits a ceiling, you can see the ceiling is definitely there. He's a very, very impactful player, but there's a lot of downside in my opinion. A lot of it's tied to physical development. If he can really add that Rudy Gobert level of girth, if he can get stronger and anchor in the post, anchor on the interior as far as the rim protector, he's a really bad screen setter too. Like that's the whole thing about this whole spread, pick and roll dive concept with him is he's he can't set screens right now. He's just too narrow. He doesn't get contact nearly enough. And I think that's a concern. Like if he doesn't add the requisite girth, uh, he's not like totally athletic. He just has the highest margin for error for any player we've seen because of his length. Like he can rotate across the key. He can be late reacting to a play defensively and still block the shot. But he does need to add physical girth. I agree. And I think that his I mean, his whole pre-draft <laughs> onslaught has been absolutely masterful as far as whoever is running and orchestrating that is is brilliant because it really is playing on all the strengths. He's one of the like the smartest players we've seen come into the league in some time. He is so intelligent as far as when he talks. Like people buy basically everything. You go back and watch his tape, and it's like, oh, this guy's incredibly smart. He blocks a lot of shots. That seven ten wingspan. So I don't blame a lot of the NBA guys for being infatuated with him. But when you watch his tape back, uh, he's getting beat on the perimeter way too much as far as in space. Trey Young, Zaire Smith, two lottery ass prospects. And, in this class just went right around him at will. He's not a one five switch defender as he's billed at, but again, a lot of it is just paired to physical upside. If you think you can develop his body, uh, he has the upside, I think to merit a top five pick in this class. It's just, if he doesn't hit that ceiling outcome, I think his downside is pretty considerable. Like he could be a Hassan Whiteside type of player in the NBA offensively, especially where you just can't, he doesn't have enough value to really stay on the floor in winning environments. Yeah, you bring up Hassan Whiteside, and we had Hassan Whiteside here. Uh, he was in the 2010 draft. He fell all the way to the Kings in the second round. And they brought in, really, the the two guys with the, the biggest wingspans in that draft. Uh, both him and DeMarcus Cousins walked in with, I think, uh, Hassan's was 7'9", or 7'8 and and uh, Cousins was 7'8", wingspans. Um, and Hassan, in his rookie season... Um, just bare bones. I mean, he was skinny and then he went out and he added so much weight. It was, it was shocking. And all he did was walk around in a tank top posing in front of mirrors and and flexing everywhere. (laughs) Um, and I, I mean, I asked him, I said, Hey dude, how in the world? I mean, it was like 30 or 40 pounds he gained in, in, it was all muscle. It wasn't, it was clear that it was all muscle. And he brought up that his father was a professional football player uh, for the Minnesota Vikings in the 80s. And his dad was a 290-pound defensive lineman. Uh, Of course, you go, you look it up, there he is. Uh, And so (laughs) he had the natural genes to be able to add weight like that, even though he had such a huge frame. And so I think we've seen that you can add weight, but I'm not sure that Bamba has that. He, I don't think his, he has a 290 pound father that played in the NFL. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes it's just that, just the genes to add the weight, especially quickly. 
Um, and of course, Hassan, the next thing he did as soon as he came in with all that weight, uh, his one post move that he'd worked the entire summer on was was a travel and everyone made fun of him. Uh, and then he hurt his knee in the first week and that was it for Hassan Whiteside in Sacramento. Um, you know, he added too much weight and his body wasn't ready for the weight. So I think there's a danger there. And I loved, you know, watching Gobert slowly add the weight because when he came in in pre-draft, he was just so ripped upper body and he just sat there with his shirt off, like hanging out, like he was cool. And then he's walking around (laughs) on a pair of pencils and you're like, Hey man, how about you hit leg day? You know, (laughs) don't, don't skip leg day, bro. Uh, but he's been able to add the weight and add the muscles. So, I guess Bamba is intriguing, but I mean, if I'm the Kings, I avoid Bamba at all costs. It just because they're not looking. I mean, they're looking to improve a little bit quicker than that, and they don't need to start over with yet another young player in the process uh, that needs a bunch of time. You know. Yeah, you hit. Go ahead. You hit the nail on the head as far as developmentally. Like it's going to take a little bit with Mo. I think that his ceiling outcome is there, but it's three to four years down the road. If you want to win now, I think he's more of a developmental prospect. Yeah. All right, so you brought up Trey Young. Of course, the Kings aren't even going to touch on Trey Young uh, because they're they're all in on De'Aaron Fox. Does he translate? Because you have him really high, and and you know, as a guy who again, Sacramento, we had Jemmer Fredette uh, come come through with the 2011 draft. Uh, not to totally compare him and Jemmer, but what separates him? Because uh, outside of the elite shooting. He looks like he's like a, a little tiny guy that's going to have a difficult time. Yeah, he's really small, so that you have to start there. As far as there's issues defensively, as far as will he be Isaiah Thomas bad or will he be 2017 Damian Lillard bad or salvageable, I should say. So there's a continuum on the pendulum there. You weigh that. He's going to be a negative defender, but how much? Um, the attrition issues for sure there as far as his body wearing down. We saw that manifest in college over the course of the season. He just doesn't have the physical tools. I, I don't know if he can play 82 games and then hold up in the playoffs, but I am so infatuated with his upside in the modern game. Just probably the most skilled overall guard I've ever seen at his age. He's ridiculously skilled in every single component offensively. I mean, his pull-up game, his transition from his handle to his jump shot is elite as far as quickness. He gets a shot off from 30 feet at the blink of an eye. And his balance on his jump shot is incredible for his age. That's something we see a lot of the young guards in the league struggle with as far as decelerating on balance. Dennis Smith, Lonzo Ball especially, those guys just really struggle with pull-up jump shooting and just being on balance and trade practices that all the time he's already elite there his passing is probably his best overall skill while his pull-up is his most important skill but as a passer he he kind of reminds me of young steve nash i mean honestly like the reads he makes he can make a cross court uh skip pass with his left hand at high velocity i don't know if there's five guys in the nba that can make that pass um, with their offhand he's just incredibly good as far as craft as a passer and vision. His decision-making kind of suffers a little bit. I think a lot of this is due to the environment in Oklahoma. He just had no supporting help. He was kind of cast into this 37 usage role where like he was, he had, he was the engine for their offense and basically every single component couldn't play off the ball, only attempted 19 unguarded catch and shoot threes in the half court. And he made 14 of them. I think he's basically a knockdown shooter when he actually has, you know, guys who can create a shot for him. He can run off screens. Uh, His handle is elite. He's already got the sham God dribble, for example, in his repertoire. He's again, I I just think that the offense is going to translate. He's quicker than he gets credit for. He's not Jimmer Fredette. I I think he's he's just better in every single component of his game. Faster release on his shot. He's quicker with the ball, better handle, shiftier. It just comes down to like team fit. 
what coach trusts him to run the offense. I think if he's the fulcrum of an offense, he has the chance to be an elite component of a top five offense in the league. He just has that. We, we see his on-ball gravity as a shooter. Like These guys don't come around the draft that often. They can dribble, pass, and shoot and make decisions and see the floor the way he can. Boy, that was maybe the quickest rundown hitting every single point that I've ever heard on Trey Young. <laughs> that that was quick. Uh, okay, so look, I don't want to keep you all day. Uh, you're a busy man. We're drenched in, in draft season. Uh, but the Kings also have an early second-round pick. Personally, I do believe that the Kings are probably going to sell or trade that second-round pick. Uh, specifically because of their roster makeup as it is right now. They have so many young players and really no way to bring in another uh, young player, especially when you look at Harry Giles and you look at the the number one pick that they're going to bring in, that well, the number two overall pick that they're going to bring in uh, to go with the 10 young guys they had from last year. Um, <laughs> so, uh, But if they did stay at number two, is there someone that just jumps out at you that says, man... I think he could help them win games, and and I do like what your your thought process is on players that can help you win. But is there someone sitting there at I think they're number thirty seven uh, that you think just jumps out at you? I think the strength of this class, outside of the depth as far as bigs at the top of the draft, is the fact that there are so many six four to six seven guys more than what you've seen in this class that are capable NBA players. So there's a bunch of wings I think they're going to push down, or at least some that'll be available at 37. Two guys stand out for me, Jacob Evans from Cincinnati, six five and a half, you know, six eight or six nine wingspan, just really high-level team defender. Uh, he was part of the second-best defense in the country last season for Cincinnati, uh, really just gets the whole switching scheme, has that one-motion release offensively, can dribble, pass, and shoot, and gives you that ability off the ball. I think Jacob Evans would be a fantastic fit. He really mature player cerebral guy he'd fit well in sacramento give them a little bit of veteran leadership on the wing another guy is josh akoji who's kind of the opposite of jacob evans in so many respects like he has the upside out of georgia tech six four and a half seven foot wingspan uh he's 210 pounds at the combine he plays bigger than his size too he's he has tremendous switching potential. I'm not sure if he's going to be there. I think he probably goes off the board earlier. But if he is, I think that he just adds so many elements to the modern game. Jump shot's a little bit more deliberate than a guy like Jacob Evans. He, he's got a little bit of a slower release, but he can get it off um, off the catch. He's a rhythm shooter, but I think he can make a spot three in time. He has the ability to attack closeouts very fast. Gets to the rim. Not a great finisher there as far as technique. He's not as explosive as his combine numbers suggest. He's more explosive off two feet in space. But he just gives you the ability to handle the ball secondarily as a, as a secondary ball handler and you know the shooting I think is going to get there the passing he has the ability it's more like he was in a very weird role at Georgia State or Georgia Tech he played out of position as far as role there I mean he had to initiate a lot of their offense his decision making leaves you wanting more for sure he plays outside of himself but I think the upside is there to be a two-way wing and quality starter and you might not find that in most drafts at 37. Yeah, it does seem like this draft has a bevy of guys that could replace the role that the Kings currently use a guy like Garrett Temple in. Uh, yeah. That 2-3 that defender that comes in and locks you down, hits a couple of threes. The 3 and D, uh, they don't all have to come from the Atlanta Hawks, it seems like. You can actually <laughs> find one in the draft if you actually look for one. Uh, all right, well, hey, Cole, thank you so much for, for dropping by and 
again, the rapid fire way that you drop knowledge is is very, very impressive. Uh, we're going to have to do this again, uh, especially after uh, after the Kings make what is probably going to be a historic play in Sacramento. So thanks for joining the show. Hey, anytime, man. Thanks for having me. All right, so that is Coles Wicker from The Stepian, uh, the Ode to Odin podcast, a game theory podcast. Make sure to give him a follow, uh, listen to his stuff. Really, really insightful. Uh, you've been listening to the Kings Insider podcast on NBC Sports California. Thanks for tuning in. All right, you've been listening to the Kings Insider podcast brought to you by Wendy's. If you haven't already, please visit Apple Podcasts or Google Play to subscribe. And if you like our podcast, give us a rating and a review. We would really appreciate it. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at NBCS Authentic. We'll be back next week with Doug Christie and another great guest. Thanks for tuning in, Kings fans. We'll see you very soon. <laughs>